You're listening to the Harvest Christian Fellowship Weekend Message Podcast. To learn more about our community, like what we believe and how you can take a next step, visit us online at hcfcornwall.ca or join us for one of our services this weekend, Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 11 here at 847 York Street. Take off my mask. Tomorrow, I'll take my mask off. I could get used to this. I could get used to this. The fragrance of this mask now. I won't get used to that. Well, if you're as happy as I am about shedding your mask tomorrow, that's amazing. Let's just remember that uh, we prefer one another. There will be people that won't. And uh, we're not going to make a deal about that, are we? No poking fingers in people's eyes or in their mask. And let's respect, again, choices that people will make. Um, Understand that um, culture and society um, pressures are real. And so when you tell a person, you know, I mean, think back two years ago. um, We weren't sure if you touched the ad bag if you were going to get COVID. Um, I mean, right? We're laughing now, but it wasn't funny then when the ad bag came. I remember staring. You know, some of you that are laughing were disinfecting your groceries for Pete's sakes, you know, but we didn't know. We didn't know. And so culture can, um, you know, a certain level of fear. And, and then and, and we actually talked about this, I think, early on about how we acclimatize and then we get used to the mask, and now it's a big deal to take it off. And so just respect those um, that it's a big deal for them to take it off and uh, going to be sensitive to that. So today, um, we would like, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Dick to come to the uh, platform, and uh, we want to present the gift that you so generously uh, gave him. And you probably, and Margo's joining, that is amazing. So Dick and Margo are coming. You probably want to know what's in here, right? You want to know the level of your generosity? $8,000. To say we honor you, we love you, God bless you guys. On behalf of Harvest Christian Fellowship, we just say we love you and honor you so much. Chris said that uh, she was praying that God puts every hair in her head. I hope that doesn't suggest that you know, 45 years later after getting saved, he did, that he doesn't know as much about me now as he did then. Anyway, um, I guess I, I want to first start by thanking Pastor Roy, who uh, made it possible for my ordination and uh, to spend eight years doing pastoral care here. It was, it's been a pleasure. And it doesn't mean to say that we're not going to be involved with people, because we will anyway. And... Um, you know, Margo and I like to give, but it's really humbling to receive an offering. And I, I told Pastor in the beginning, no, I don't. It's just a humbling thing. But it's a reflection of your love for us. I just want to thank you so much. Just stand to your feet. One more time, let's just honor this great couple, this patriarchs and a matriarch in this house. God bless you guys so much.
You may be seated. Hey, everybody online, God bless you for joining us today. Our peak numbers, that's a way we just measure how many come on, and just still somewhere just under 50 people that join us each week. God bless you guys, and some of you are in the area, and uh, we can't wait for you to experience what we experience here in the room, and then we know that there are others joining us uh, that have made Harvest Christian Fellowship your home church, and you're in a different locale, and we're going to continue bringing the stream to you as we believe God uh, has equipped us and given us the resources to be able to do that. So this morning, uh, we're still on ancient paths, and we're looking at a scripture that talks about, as Jeremiah was prophesying, that there are many choices in life, but we want to be on the right path, the ancient path, which isn't an old path, um, because not everything old is good, uh, much of what old is good, because it lasts, but um, it's the ancient path, it means from eternity. It's the pathways that God has given us to walk on, and we've looked at a number of those, and kind of concluding now uh, with the Word of God, the Bible, we call it the Holy Bible, Bible just means book, and it's the Holy Book, it's a different book, it's set apart, we're talking about that. Last week I said I want you to love the Word, uh, I want you to learn it, I want you to live it, and as that happens, God's life is very breath that's contained in the Scriptures it's useful for everything in life as we've been reading. And his word is a lamp to guide my feet to find those ancient paths. And so the truth uh, of what God wants for our lives are contained in the book. And so we're going to continue with that today. Let's just pray. Lord, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would help us understand the importance of your message to us, uh, the scriptures, but as we see really Jesus, your definitive message to mankind. It's Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you be glorified in all that we do today, we pray in your name. Everyone said? Amen. Let's look at this verse as we begin. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I could preach the whole sermon on this verse. Look at the words, let them pop out for you. Uh, let. Let, allow it, choose it. Uh, make sure that your heart is open. It's an intentional act that you let the Word, the holy book that we're talking about, the Bible, the very breath of God, the life-changing force that God gives us, let the Word of Christ uh, dwell. Make its home in you. That God's word would be at home in you, that you would welcome it. You say, yes, Holy Spirit, as you do verse 15, and as we were singing this morning, uh, minutes turning into hours. Some of you are learning, it's just so awesome to be in the presence of God, and verse 15 isn't even a problem, and you, maybe you're doing verse 20, and whatever kind of you're uh, uh, doing in the mornings or in the evenings, as you spend time with the Lord on a regular, on a regular basis, as we started talking about in this new year, that you allow the word, the breath of God, to make its home in you. Say in. Very different than on. We talked last week about how some people want to take the Bible and put it on you. We want to put it inside. Uh, that's a very intimate word. That's a very intimate connection. And that that would all happen richly. Richly. But that means it will take over your life. It'll contain all of you. So if you're going to love the book and allow it to richly dwell in you, I want to be really practical today and just help you understand uh, to know the Bible a little bit better. We're going to do that this week. The next week we'll conclude this series, and I'll talk to you about 
uh, why this book is trustworthy, uh, why we trust what's in it, and just the extraordinary, um, just, just the math of, of how it all goes together, and the chances are, like, and we'll look at it, one, and it's a crazy number, uh, this, this book is no coincidence. Every word between the covers, God wants there. And uh, so we'll look at that next week. And even if to help you as you're sharing your faith, explain to people, well, why do you read, they'll ask you, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you read it? And uh, you'll have an answer for them uh, next week. But this week, just to help you understand uh, the Bible a little bit better, in order to do that, uh, get a translation that you like. Get a translation that you like. And often people will say, well, Pastor, what would you recommend? And I'll give you a recommendation as we go through this. But let me just give you some background about the translations and why, why do we use that word translation. The Old Testament of the Bible was written in ancient Hebrew. And uh, languages that aren't even spoken or used today, they're ancient languages. The New Testament was written in uh, Greek uh, and Aramaic. And so if you have an English Bible, I don't think there's anyone probably here today that's reading the original uh, Hebrew, Old Testament, and uh, the uh, Greek and Aramaic New Testament. You have an English Bible, say English. Or you might have a French one. Um, and, uh, and so it had to be translated into English from those original languages. And so people will often say, well, how do you know that the translations are reliable and accurate? And they kind of have this kind of this thought. You remember when you were kids, or maybe you've done it at parties as an adult, where you play, play the message game. And so a bunch of people in the room, and you whisper a message into somebody's ear. And uh, might whisper something like, uh, Joe went to the store to buy blueberries. And that's the message. And so it goes from person to person to person to person to person to person to person. To person. And when it gets to the end, the final person says, Jane went and picked wild uh, mushrooms and had a hallucinogenic uh, experience. And it's like it's nothing like how it started, right? Because everybody's adding or didn't quite hear it, uh, made it up or whatever. And so people kind of have that idea that the Bible was kind of translated like that over the centuries. And that, you know, somebody just got this manuscript, and then this person got that one, and, and that there's, there's not a lot of reliability. Well, the, really, it's so fascinating how we have our English translation, because it's nothing like uh, the message game. The Bible was translated uh, in, in a process where the, uh, the oldest manuscripts that were written, and the scribes that would uh, copy the manuscripts, they would give their life uh, to do that, and uh, to write every every word, every to to dictate and to write, so there would be um, um, you know constant manuscripts available, and there's really no amongst the scholars and literary people, there's no debate or argument about the reliability of these ancient manuscripts that are used each time. So when they do an English translation, the scholars go back to those manuscripts. You say, well, how do we know? If it's not the original one, like Moses, you know, do you have the one Moses wrote? And <laughs> when he wrote, uh, uh, Moses was the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And when he was writing, the, do we have those manuscripts? No, we don't have those manuscripts, but reliability is not debated. And it's really interesting, in 1947, um, quite a long time ago, but in terms of uh, history, it's contemporary history, that a shepherd boy was uh, in the Dead Sea uh, region, and he was just sitting there bored one day. He was a shepherd, and uh, 
he's just kind of, you know, staring around, and he spotted this little opening inside of a, uh, uh, he hadn't noticed it before. He started in, in, in this little, like, rock, rock face. He starts throwing rocks at it the way a kid might do and just kind of watching the sheep and throwing that rock. And he's throwing that rock, and all of a sudden he hears a crash, and, and something breaks. And uh, he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> My dad's going to be mad. And, and so he goes in to find out what it was, and there was a bunch of clay jars. And it became one of the greatest uh, for, for biblical archaeology and just for archaeology as a whole, 1947, there was a dig there, and it unearthed the oldest, even older than the ones we were using, manuscripts of the Bible that dated back, some of them, uh, much more than 2,000 years old. And there wasn't one contradiction in those older manuscripts than the ones that had been being used to, for some of our English translations. And so it's just amazing. Uh, as we look at how the Bible was translated uh, from these uh, old manuscripts, ancient manuscripts, um, and just the reliability of our Bibles as we carry them today. So when I say get a translation, you understand what that is and how they're translated. Uh, different kinds of translations you should probably be aware of. And one is called formal equivalency. And that would be our uh, King James Version, the New King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version, which I love. Um, and, and so as you're getting a translation that you like, uh, this particular way of translating is word for word. It's a word for word translation. So each word is given an English equivalent. Now, we have the King James Version up there, which is the oldest English Version and it was translated in 1611. 1611, over 400 years ago. And um, it was a great translation 411 years ago. And it served the English speaking church uh, for a very long time and still does today. But the grammar and the words have drastically changed. We don't speak the King's English anymore, do we? I mean, it, it, it's all kinds of craziness in that old language. And you will meet people, though, and I just need to kind of point at this. You will meet people for some reason. Um, and I've looked at their reasons. They call themselves King James Version-only churches. And they're very strict about this. And they believe if you read another English version other than the King James Version, because somehow that's really the one, that's like the one Jesus carried, you know, in, in Jerusalem, um, no, he opened the scrolls of Isaiah that were a manuscript that were kept at the temple. Um, some of those manuscripts that Jesus read from probably used in some of our translations. So there's nothing special about the King James. In fact, great translation then, not so much today. Very difficult to understand. And the word meanings, you have like words that have ch literally changed meanings. They don't mean what they meant back there. They don't mean today. And so if I can just, with all respect, it's nonsense to suggest that a King James version of the Bible is a better Bible, and some of the proponents will even say that um, the other versions are corrupt. They are corrupt. They're not, they're not God-breathed or ordained. And I just want to go on record and online and in this room, that's nonsense. <laughs> if you like the King James version, bless you, I use it too because the word-for-word -word equivalency uh, helps me when, when I do study. Um, and we talked about the New King James Version. 
which what the New King James did is translate in the same uh, fashion as the King James Version, but it's new. It brought, it modernized all these words that I'm talking about, the, thou, and then other words that don't have equivalency anymore in our culture. They don't mean the same. They changed those and helped bring it up to date. The readability of a formal equivalency, the readability of it is difficult. It's not the easiest book to read. Um, and it's, it wasn't, formal equivalency isn't written so that you could devotionally just kind of sit back with a cup of coffee and just read it leisurely. Um, it reads harder. It, there's a lot of punctuation and grammar and a lot of things going on. And uh, doesn't make it better. Does it make it worse? It makes it different. I'm just pointing that out as you're landing on a version, um, or maybe you went looking for a new version. You and I love doing that. I love getting from time to time a new version and just read it because it, it. I don't. Sometimes I get familiar. I'll read a scripture that I've read maybe you know a thousand times, but reading it in a new translation helps make it fresh again to my spirit. Functional equivalency, the New Living Translation, which we use a lot here on Sundays, the Good News Bible, um, the um, uh, Today's English Version, and the NIV. They're not word for word. They are thought for thought. And so the thought's captured and written in a way that makes readability much easier. And so it's more of a reading Bible and it was also written, the NIV was written, so the average person between grade five and grade seven, that reading level could understand and have the Bible uh, in their hands. In fact, I mentioned the NIV, if you wanted um, a recommendation, that's the one I would tell you to go get. Because the NIV, the New International Version, uh, is both formal equivalency and functional. So they did the formal translation first, and then... Um, made it a functional and made it readable. Again, their goal being that a grade five student, excuse me, could understand it. A paraphrase, we use the message here, the Living Bible. Uh, there's a new paraphrase called uh, the Passion Translation. It's not a translation at all. It's a paraphrase. And the reason we call it a paraphrase is they've taken an existing or existing English translation Bibles and translated those into a language or readability um, that communicates it maybe in a more modern vernacular. And uh, so we read the message, nothing wrong with paraphrase. If I'm studying and I want to know what those original languages really were communicating, because that's important to unlock uh, the thought of what God is saying to us, and I want to be true to the Scripture, so as I'm studying, um, I do a lot of the word for word. In fact, I go back and look at the original languages before I preach any verse um, and see what that Hebrew word means and see what that Greek means. So with confidence, as we share the word here at Harvest, uh, that we're getting a really good understanding of what God was saying. But I love taking my message Bible and using it on Sundays as well because often Peterson, the author of that, just says it in a way. It's like, wow, did he ever get that verse? And uh, so I think everybody should have a, a paraphrase copy as well. So let's just look at the differences uh, really quickly. Today's really practical, more of a teaching. Um, I want to help those that maybe the Bible is new to you, and so you can ha understand why we make a big deal about it. Why does Christianity make a big deal? If you're new, uh, you're a Christ follower, and you're thinking about getting water baptized, aren't those stories awesome, the before and after stories? Please be a, yeah, yeah. That's why we do what we do. 
We're believing for an Easter Sunday experience like none other. We're just praying and trusting the Lord. Um, the whole service is going to be centered around the message of before and after, the transformational power of Jesus in our lives, uh, the resurrection story of Easter, but we're going to demonstrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus through water baptism. And so if you haven't been water baptized, that's why we're showing uh, the um, stories and so that you would sign up and be water baptized. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. It's read at so many weddings. And just so you can kind of see the differences, here it is in the King James Version. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Whatever that means. I'm not making fun of it. I just, I hope you understand, like, it's, I don't know what that, I don't know what that means. I have to go find out what all those vaunteth not itself. NIV, hey, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Okay, I get that. How about the message? Love never gives up, y'all. Love cares more for others than it will for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut around, strutting its stuff. Doesn't have a swelled up old head. And it's just in language that we can understand and you can kind of almost hear somebody, you know, these words and they come into an understanding and we go, I, I, I really get that. So there's just an example of how they've been translated and why they're different and why they're different. Is one better than another? Not better. They're different. Understand the differences. Get a translation uh, that you really like. Um, I'll, and you can do that, right? You can download, um, there's so many apps now, and download them for free, have a look. And then invest in a paper Bible. I, I do think I have, I love technology. Um, most of my morning time, I do use my uh, phone Bible. Um, but not foam, my phone Bible. I don't have a foam Bible. Um, I love marking up my Bible and uh, I've gone back with my markers and my pens and just, um, it's, it's, a little, it's not the same in the app doing that. And I know I, I highlight my app too, but uh, something about paper, and it's not because I'm old. Number two, get a study Bible. Uh, uh, the Amplified Bible, I didn't mention it, the Amplified Bible will um, give you the, the, the translated word in English and then in brackets, tell you what that word means in the original language. So you get, you get a language dictionary and the words. So it's not readable, but it's great for study. If you don't have an Amplified Bible, think about getting one. Uh, Jack Hayford has a Spirit-Filled Life Bible. Highly recommend. Um, Jack Hayford's seminary in Van Nunes, California is one of the highest rated contemporary today places to study uh, for full-time ministry and uh, is in the genre of Holy Spirit-filled church like we are. And it's a great um, study Bible. So the verse is there, and there's some commentary uh, to help you understand what's being said. And then our friends at Life Church Application Bible, and that's a great one as well. Number three, we're talking about getting to know your Bible and uh, understanding it more, the practicalities. I want you to love the book, and you need to understand it, uh, how its pieces go together. And uh, we talk a lot about small group, understanding the Bible, get into a small group, and there isn't one to get into right now. So I just want to talk about that for a minute, why small group is so important to us at Harvest. We believe that um, there's a scripture in James that says that God forgives our sin. James says, confess your sins one to another, 
and it talks about how God forgives sins, but we heard a story today about how um, when we've been sinned against, not only does our sin cause consequences, but we've been sinned against. Maria shared a very powerful story of how someone who sinned against her, it had deep uh, consequences in her life. The Bible says that as we share that with each other, as we become Christ followers, we are healed. Healing of the past, finding freedom, which is really important to us at Harvest. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom from yesterday. We want you to discover that you have giftings that God wants to use, and we want you to make a difference with those giftings. That's our mantra. Um, Kevin Burgess that I gave a shout out to last week, who's uh, studying at his la he's writing his last paper. I think it's his last one. I did a Zoom call with him uh, this week. Uh, he'll be ordained to the Catholic priesthood uh, and do his first mass at St. Peter's uh, this summer. And uh, he's asking me a million questions about how we do church at Harvest because he wants to do his parish just like that when he has one. And, uh, and so he said, what do you tell people when you invite them to Harvest? What do you invite them to? I said, that's easy. We invite them to know God, to find freedom. We invite them to discover the gifts that God has placed in them and then to use those gifts and make a difference in this world. That's what we tell them. <laughs> he was writing it down. I said, we're not the only church that does that. We stole all that from another church, but we use it because it really works, and we're really excited about it. But our small groups are super important. And what we're doing right now is we made the decision, rather than start small groups back up, as we're starting so many things back up, that we wanted to wait and really look at the model. And as I looked at it as your, as your pastor, and there were some things that really, if I could change them, uh, I want to change them. Well, what a better time to make some changes to how we do small groups, to make them better than ever, to make them safer than ever, to make them judgment-free zones more than ever, to make them places of healing more than ever, to have people like Maria be able to come to a group and maybe share for the first time a background like that in a safe setting where she could begin to experience the healing of God because she'd been sinned against. How do we learn about the Bible and put it into practice? Small groups. And stay tuned for when small groups will come back online here at Harvest. All right. The Bible as we understand, some background information for you. It was written over a period of 1,600 years. Moses began it, and at the end of the book we have Revelation, um, and there are 1,600 years through the scope of the writing of what uh, Orthodox Christianity calls the canon, or the 66 books of the Bible, the ones that are here, and Orthodoxy, Christian Orthodoxy landed. Every, when I say Orthodoxy, every denomination, every Catholics, and, and all of all churches, uh, Christian churches, say this, this is it. Over six, they said, and as I said, 1,600 years. Over a dozen countries, three continents, 40 people, three different languages. It was written by poets and prophets and farmers and kings and soldiers and shepherds and princes and priests, historians and fishermen, tax collectors and scholars, businessmen. And Luke in the New Testament was a doctor. It was written in caves and ships and palaces and prisons and deserts. And it all is the same story, the story of Jesus. How is that possible? How is that possible? Second Peter tells us, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human uh, initiative. No, 
These prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit as they spoke from God. The scripture gives us an understanding that God used the uh, genre style of the writer. He used the personality of the writer, but they wrote God's words. Every word that was written down, God meant for it to be there. Second Timothy, we've read this before. All scripture, say all. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God, that's you, that's me, may be thoroughly equipped to have great marriages, to raise our kids, to do our finances the way God would want us to do our finances, to live this life and be equipped to do it, to find the lamp that lights up the pathway of the ancient paths that God says, this is the way, walk you in it, and you will be blessed, you will be prosperous, and you will know my will for your life. This book all scripture, one message from God. You know, lots of people come to Harvest and they make a decision to be a Christ follower, which we'll give that opportunity today as we do in every service. And they get their Bible that we give them. Um, the first Bible, we want everybody, we give them a paperback Bible to start that journey of loving the word. And uh, they'll go to, we have something called Seeds, which is a, a small group, which is open right now and happening. Uh, I think there's 13 people signed up for seeds right now, and they began, the Bambers meet with them on Wednesday nights, and uh, some of those folks, and you're maybe here this morning, uh, you'll choose to get water baptized Easter Sunday. We can't wait to see you in the tank. And uh, they start with their Bible, and they go, okay, this is a book. It's a holy book. I get that. I'm going to start to read it. And they open up to the first page, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Oh, good. I'm in the right place. It's the beginning. And they start to read the Bible. And you need to understand, and, and I'm sorry that it's this way for our Western minds because it doesn't make any sense that the Bible isn't laid out chronologically. It's not chronological. Now, Genesis is the beginning of the story. It just happens to be. But the Bible's actually grouped together by kinds of books. Some of you have been reading your Bible your whole life, and you will not know what I'm going to tell you right now, and you need to know this, um, that the Bible was grouped. The books of the Bible are grouped uh, not chronologically, but organized to kinds. And so the law books, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Jewish people call it the Torah, and it contains the Ten Commandments and God's law, the law books, the first five books of the Bible. And then the next 12 books are the history books of the nation of Israel. And so we have Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and uh, uh, Kings and Kings, Samuel, or excuse me, Samuel, Samuel, Kings and Kings, Chronicles and Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and Esther. And these are the, his, the history of the nation of Israel as they were ruled by the judges and then ruled by the kings and King David. And then the kingdom of Israel split. Uh, into two, and, uh, and there was Judah that remained the remnant, true to God, and, 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 uh, and Jerusalem, uh, the other tribes that grouped, and they went away from God. And you can read the cyclic story of coming to God and falling away from God, and coming to God and falling away from God. And then the poetry books, uh, and Job, and the Psalms, and the Proverbs, and uh, uh, um, Lamentations, and, and the Songs of Solomon. And I thankful to my kids' church worker when I was about six or seven, and they put one of those giant chocolate bars in front of us and said, if you will memorize the books of the Bible, you will win this chocolate bar. They might as well have said to this seven-year-old, you'll get a million bucks. And so I went, and, I, and, and some of the kids put it to music, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Anyone else know that song? Yeah, got some. I just, I didn't do it to music. I just went, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. I'm gonna, I can go all the way through. And the reason that's really helpful is just when uh, we're preaching and we kind of know where to go in the Bible, but you don't have to do that. They sell these really cool Bible tabs, and you put them down the pages. Does anybody have the really cool? You do, Megan, can you just hold it up? You don't have your Bible with you today? Doesn't help me. All right. Cool Bible tabs so you can find a really, somebody has Bible tabs. All right. And, uh, and so then um, the prophecy books, there are 17 prophecy books which are divided into the major prophets and what we call the minor prophets. And some people, I'm going to read the major prophets. They're, I'm going to major on that. That must be the good stuff. The minor, who cares about them? No. That's the big books, Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, and then uh, some prophets that prophesied to the nation of Israel, and mostly those prophecies around the rebellion and the falling away uh, and then Israel going into captivity. And, and so uh, I'm not going to recite those for you. Isaiah through Malachi. And then God closed the book. And there was no more revelation from heaven to earth in the form of Scripture for 400 years. And then Jesus was born in a manger. And God said, I'm going to bring, I'm really going to reveal who I am. And the book continued, the Gospels, we call it the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, if you read it, you'll read the same stories over and over again. Because it's four different men, like newspapers, all uh, recounting the history of Jesus upon the earth, mostly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. But John kind of was more of a theologian, and he puts more theology and understanding of what Jesus was doing um, and why Jesus was doing it as well. Then the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, this is really cool, because when you get to the book of Acts, the church is planted in Jerusalem, and then they, they uh, have all kinds of um, persecution, and it gets dispersed to the then-known world. And you read about how Paul and Peter, the two main apostles for church planting, went out and started planting churches. And they all tell you cities like Ephesus and Corinth, Corinth and Philippi. And you'll read the story in Acts as they started in Jerusalem and then to Antioch and then to the then-known world. And you'll read about these cities. And if you have maps in the back of your Bible, you can find and kind of see how that all happened. Then the next section after the book, one book, the book of Acts, this timeline of the church uh, in, the first, in those first uh, 50, 60, 100 years. Well, you take that timeline and then Paul and Peter and the Apostle John start writing letters to those churches, the epistles. And you can take those letters, like Corinthians, and you can take that letter and take it over to the book of Acts and pop it in. And while he was in Corinth, that's when he wrote the letter. And there was two letters, first letter to the Corinth church and the second letter. John wrote three letters to the churches that he was overseeing. And the apostles would write these letters called the epistles that have become our doctrine and how to do what we do in local church. That's so you can understand the epistles. And then the final book, the Revelation, which is a prophecy. Uh, we call it apocalyptic literature. It's a, a, a look at the end of the age and what heaven will be like. So there's your Bible in, in, a, in a, not a chronological but if you want to read it chronologically, get a chronological Bible or a Bible one-year Bible reading plan. 
really recommend that as long as when you get to day 17 of not reading it, you don't go, ah, this this isn't working. And now I got to catch up 17 days. No, don't do that. Be free. Forget the 17 days you didn't read and just jump back in again. And what the one-year Bibles do is take a chronological look and helps you understand and pulls, why is it pulling a scripture from here and from there, from there? Because it's giving you how the Bible, the theme of the Bible uh, from the old and then from the new and ties it together. Well, what's this book all about? I've got Jesus Christ at the very top and I, I wanna just start at the bottom, um, the bottom left-hand side. I want you to see the mirror. That's the Old Testament on one side and the New Testament on the other. You're going to love this. This is what the Bible is all about. It begins, God and righteous people in paradise in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, Satan and sin entered the world, and chaos resulted to the human race. Because two things, when we're separated from God, which was what Adam and Eve decided to do, is walk away from the plan of God and not have God's light on their feet. And they, weren't, they were now separating themselves. When Satan and sin comes in, we get separated and chaos is the result. You might be sitting here today going, my life is in chaos. And I would ask you, are you separated or joined with God today? In a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to join your life to Jesus, to invite Jesus into your life and to end the chaos and the sin in your life and to have eternal life today. Satan and sin entered the world. Sin twisted God's creation to the point that we read about Noah's flood, and God judged and destroyed the world because God said, I I can't have this anymore. Sin has so corrupted my creation. After the flood, the Tower of Babel, and we read about the one world attempted government system where humanity said, we don't need God. We're going to build a tower. In fact, we're going to build it so high it's going to reach the clouds. Now, we don't think it was like the CN Tower and taller. They didn't have technology like that. But the idea was whatever the tallest building was back in that era, taller than the pyramids, taller than whatever, we are going to be God. Humanity pushing God out of the equation. We don't need God. We'll run this planet called Earth. Well, God said, no, we're not doing that. God took his government and placed it in the 12 tribes of Israel, his people. He called it his holy nation, and we read about that uh, in the Old Testament. The book closes the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant opens, and I'll tell you why there was a New Covenant. Because in the Old Covenant, the 12 tribes of Israel, God gave them a law called the Ten Commandments. And he said, in order to be holy, like I'm holy, you're going to have to keep every one of these laws. God knew that wasn't going to work. The Bible declares it wouldn't work. The reason God did it was mankind was certain that he could do this all on his own. The Bible actually uses the word that God frustrated mankind to realize that we could not be God. We could not be at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and know the difference between good and bad and only do good. It's, we, we have sin in our lives. We're separated from God. The law could never 
bring what God intended, but it could point out our sin and certainly show us that we are the lawbreakers. And Jesus came on as we come into the New Testament, and he says, I'm going to have something called the local church on planet earth, a place that's going to be my house, a place that the apostles, those 12 people began. And Jesus said, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit into that place called the church, and God's people will be on the church and the world would continue, and, and, and there would be this thing called the church that we're here today, and this is the time of history that we find ourselves, and the place in this book that we find ourselves today. We're still in a society that's trying to figure out how to push God out, and they're convinced that they don't need him, and trying to build one world governments, and, and trying to take over once again. There will be an end of the age. We're probably closer than we might even imagine. The Bible talks about there will be an end. And this world will be judged and it will be destroyed. Not God's people, not the people that God has saved, but people and the world system that has rejected God and said no to him over and over, even though they were given every chance. At that point, the scriptures tell us that Satan and sin will exit this world forever. Satan will be thrown into what's called the bottomless pit. The devil and his angels are not in hell right now. They're in the atmosphere of this world trying to corrupt and continue to destroy what God created. But at the end of the age, he will be thrown into the bottomless pit. Sin and Satan exit on this earth, not in heaven. If, we're to, if you die right now, the scriptures say, yes, your spirit is in heaven, but we're awaiting the day of the new heaven and the new earth. A place that goes back and mirrors um, the, uh, at the end, when it all ends, God, not righteous people, God and his redeemed people, sinners who are saved by the grace of God, who accept that the gift of this story is all about. This is the story of the Bible. This is what we're going to. This is the love letter of this book. This is the message. The message is Jesus you might say today, well, the subject matter of this book, as I look at it, it looks like it's us. No, no, it's not. We're the object. We are the object. The subject is Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think they give you, those scriptures give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. That's why we have Jesus at the top of that mirror image. We're the object. Jesus is the subject. And the Bible has a verb. This book has a verb. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave. The verb of this book is God is a giving God. He didn't come to take something from you. If someone told you that God's a taker God, that God came to this earth so he could take from you and make your life miserable, present you with the Old Testament law and say, do this or I'll make your life miserable, that's not the story of this book. The story is a God who came to give eternal life. And that's not happens when we die and we go to heaven. It begins now, right in this moment. As we accept Jesus into our life, we begin to understand the power of the words of this God-breathed book, and we begin our relationship with Jesus. And then the next day, growing it more. And the next day, growing it more. Pastor Dick and Margo coming in. I didn't catch how many years you've been serving the Lord. How many was it? 40-some? 
and that we see those that have gone down the road and, the, and, and we talked about the pathway of honor that can say to the, us that are just starting out, this is a good journey. Is it free from pain or difficulty? No, we still live in a world that doesn't work yet. The world free of sickness and all of those things is at the end of the age when Satan and, and sin are thrown in the bottomless pit. But until then, the church begins to rise up in the power and we get to practice your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we get to pray and release the authority of this giving God who wants to give, for God so loved the world. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others. And so Harvest Christian Fellowship today and everybody watching online, the verb of giving. Why do we talk about giving in every fashion at harvest? Because that's the verb of this book, and that's what it means to be a Christ follower. We lay down our agendas, our life, and we allow his life to be our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I want you to love the book, learn the book, live the book. Today, I hope you understand it a little bit more. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, Someone in this room today, we do this every week, I want to give an opportunity to someone. Today you'd say, it's chaos in my life. My life's a mess. Christina earlier said that as she felt the same thing, there might be someone here today and you feel like there's so much chaos and you'd look at your life and go, there's no way I can clean, I can, no way I can put this into order. No way my life could be cleaned up. Good news today. That's not your job. Jesus wants to do it. I would just ask you the question, if you're, feeling that chaos in your life and the difficulties that Christina kind of said could be happening. Just ask this question, are you separated from God or joined to God today? Let's settle, let's settle the question. A simple prayer today. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you're in this room, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer of invitation to bring your life into order today, to put Jesus, make him first in your life, put him in. He wants to come into your very life today. That's you today as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's all just pray this very simple prayer together. But if you're praying this for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we're believing for order to come out of your chaos, for life to come out of death, that you would experience your before and after today. If that's you, let's pray this together, Harvest. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my chaos today. Forgive my sin come in my life. I receive you today. Put my life into order. I want to receive what I'm hearing about today. By faith, I receive it. I believe that you died on the cross for me. You were raised to eternal life so that I would have eternal life, and I receive it today. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, put your hands together. Let's just clap for the people that prayed that prayer either online or here in the room for the first time. And I would love to know if you did that today. There's those folks in green shirts and they have a little gift for you today that includes your Bible. We'd love to give you that and just let us know or text it in a box today. Let's all stand together and worship just before we're dismissed to go today. Jay.
And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away All the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Jesus. To know all you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, no shadow, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Oh, there's no all you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. time oh Thank you so much for joining us today in the room or online. We love you. We can't wait to see you next week and be blessed. Have an awesome day.